I trust that you're uh, well fed and watered and uh, refreshed and ready to sit down and uh, just be encouraged in the Word of God again. And um, uh, Franz and I were talking a little earlier, I think it was yesterday, and we are talking about the, the, the post-lunch shift in the pulpit. And it's kind of, your job is to preach, but your job is also to keep people awake. And uh, so, yes, enjoy yourselves, eat plenty, but I'm going to try and keep you awake after lunch. <laughs> so, uh, well, I trust that the first message was encouraging and uh, just kind of, uh, I guess, stimulating enough to get you thinking in this capacity. And uh, Lord willing, this next message will be uh, even more encouraging and helpful. And um, here we want to just pull this apart a little bit more. Um, so this is kind of part two on the intermediate heaven. Uh, again, if you have any questions about any of this, come and see me. Happy to ask or ask Franz. And um, yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful topic. And uh, I believe the Word of God really gives us great insights into this concept of the intermediate heaven uh, that we are very, very much a part of. I just want to sort of just recap a little bit uh, by way of just reminding us a, a few points. And number one, you remember at the start before that I made the point uh, that when people, the people of God particularly are, are devoid of the heavenly vision, when we lose sight of eternal matters, uh, when we lose sight of heaven, when we see it as nothing more than a, uh, a distant, unknowable place uh, with ghost-like beings there and floating on clouds and harps and that whole picture that we seem to so easily get into our minds, we will naturally fall prey to living for the things of this life. Uh, and when you are not enraptured and thrilled by what is to come, then your heart will just make do with what it has here. Uh, but the opposite's also true, isn't it? When you have a clear and rich and vivid understanding of what your future is in an eternal way, then your heart is removed from this world and it cannot help be but with the Lord. And look, to be honest, I find myself most nights sitting out on our deck and we kind of are slightly on a hill and we overlook and we face west and we see the sunset and the beauty of the clouds and everything and Every night I feel like I'm praying, Lord, I can't wait for you to return. It's not that I hate living in this present life, but I just, you know, I've spent a lot of time studying this and I look forward to what is to come. And I know we're here for a purpose and I'm here for a reason, but I, I just can't wait to, to be with the Lord and to be in his presence and to see his plans unfold for this earth and the life to come. And so it's something we have to remember. I also made the point before that we, we also must remember that we are eternal beings. Uh, we're not humans that cease to exist when we die. Uh, the moment we are conceived in the womb, uh, we become eternal beings, souls that will never, ever die. And I don't know if you ever stopped long enough to think about that, but you will never cease to exist. You will exist forever. You will not go to sleep and uh, not wake up. You will always exist. And that is a wonderful truth to consider. And I, I think that a lot of people in this world um, give so much attention and time to living for as long as they can and all the diets and all the tricks and I'm into all of that and, you know, we want to live a, a long and prosperous life but the people of this world seem to give no thought to what happens to them once they die. Death's inevitable, isn't it? And people focus all their time, their efforts, their energies, their resources on living for as long as they can but start talking about things of an eternal nature and they switch off. It's foolishness, isn't it? We want to go the other way with that, don't we? So we saw before that we are citizens of heaven. Uh, our names are written in heaven's roll book. There is a wonderful inheritance that waits for us in heaven. 
that's kept and guarded by our Lord and our God. Uh, and we also know that our Father, our Lord, our God, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, uh, they are both there and all who have gone before us who know the Lord, uh, there will be a great reunion in heaven when we go to be with the Lord. I also made the point that the present heaven, where all of those wonderful people are, uh, is temporal. Uh, it's not permanent. It's one day going to be dissolved, done away with, and there will be, in fact, a, be a new heavens and a new earth. Revelation 21.1 said this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And so that was just an introduction, and that kind of got us, uh, I guess, asking questions. Well, who is present in the intermediate heaven? Uh, and what is life like there? What would it be like for those people who you know who are already there? Uh, what are they doing right now? What's heaven like? What's going on? We want to try and pull that apart now. Before we get there, I want to ask if you'll just join with me in prayer and we'll seek the Lord's face. Our Father and our God, we want to thank you for, again, the opportunity to pause for a few moments to consider what you have shown us in your word already. Father, we want to thank you that your word is rich, your word is powerful, it's living and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, it, it indeed pierces to our soul and, and brings much conviction and clarity around who we are and around your holiness. Father, we want to pray and ask that you would magnify your word to us this morning. May you teach us wonderful things from your law. May you revive us according to your word. May you open our eyes that we may see you with clarity. And Father, most importantly, may we respond to you with lives that are filled with praise and worship, uh, where we are men, women and children who each day willingly get back on that cross and live the crucified life for your glory. Father, we know that our lives are not our own. We know that we were not redeemed or ransomed by bulls or goats, uh, a process and procedure from yesteryear. But Father, we have been purchased by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we are aware that the salvation we have received was given to us. It was a free gift that we simply received. And from our perspective, Lord, it was a free gift. But Father, it cost your son everything. He gave up his life. He suffered. He died. He was crucified and, and put to death in a cruel way by evil men in order to freely give us that which is the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive. And we want to thank you for that, Father. We want to thank you for these truths that we've considered that we are your children, that we are citizens of heaven, that our names are recorded in heaven's roll book. We are on your register, Lord God, and this can never be erased or undone. Even our own sin and our own shortcomings in this life cannot undo the perfect work of salvation and the inheritance that we, we are to receive in Christ. And we rejoice in this, Lord God. May we not sit on our laurels. May we not just acknowledge you by way of lip service, or thank you just with words, but may we offer up our lives as an act of worship to you. We want to thank you and we ask for your blessing for this time. May you watch over us and strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, there is a wonderful book and I have it in my cabin. Uh, it's called Heaven. Uh, it's written by Randy Elkhorn. Has anyone seen that before? Heard of it? Yeah, a few people. Uh, it's, it's one of the greatest books uh, on the topic, to be honest. Um, I've given it to people from the Reformed faith and people from, uh, I guess, a dispensational background and, and, and all seem to agree that this is a wonderful, wonderful book on the topic of heaven. And he goes far deeper than I do uh, into 
answering all the questions that people have, some on the periphery of questions that are a little odd and strange, but some which are very, um, uh, I guess, notable to ask and worthy to ask. He says this in his book, and this is a quote from his book. I'd encourage you to get the book if you can. Um, He says this. uh, He's speaking here of a, a friend of his who's actually a pastor, and this pastor has a very sad perspective on heaven. He says this, Whenever I think about heaven, it makes me depressed. I'd rather just cease to exist when I die. Why? I asked. I can't stand the thought of that endless tedium to float around in the clouds with nothing to do but strum a harp. It's all so terribly boring. Heaven doesn't sound much better than hell. I'd rather be annihilated than spend eternity in a place like that, end quote. And that's kind of funny and sad all at once, isn't it? Isn't that sad? It's even sadder that this man is a pastor. Um, What a terrible perspective. I don't know, maybe years ago there was a movie or a cartoon or something which portrayed heaven as being a place with clouds and harps and people floating about. But it's not biblical at all. And this pastor has believed the lie. And again, as I said earlier, I'm convinced that many believers have that same perspective. And if we're honest, might even say, well, it doesn't seem too appealing. And I think we need to remove that and replace it with truth, right? And that's what we're trying to do this morning. Um, This idea that heaven is a non-spiritual, dreamlike place filled with angels and, and, and harps and just beautiful, peaceful music where no one really does anything, that's got to go because that's not biblical. And I want to show you this now. I want to start by asking this question. Is heaven a real place with real physical properties? Is heaven a real place with real physical properties? And we know historically that there have been many philosophers and so forth who have come forth and many false religions who have said that the spiritual is pure and holy, whereas the physical is sin-cursed and stained. And so anything physical, anything that is of matter cannot be trusted and is to be denounced and written off. And I think that same philosophy has been uh, placed upon heaven where it could never be physical because the physical is evil, but it's not true. Um, There is, I guess, in some ways, some still some uncertainty about the answer to that question. Uh, There is the unseen realm, which we know is there, and we don't have uh, precise clarity on what goes on there. We know, we understand that there is a spirit realm. We know that there are angels and demons around us all the time, and yet we don't see them. And how it can be that an angel can be right next to us or a demon on that side and we don't see them, we don't know. I mean, think of 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. You remember the account where Elisha uh, was not afraid at all. The army of the Syrians came and uh, Elisha's servant was terrified. You may remember the account. And, and Elisha's standing like, well, I'm not afraid. Why? Why wasn't he afraid? He said, Lord, I pray that you would open my servant's eyes that he may see. And he did. And and. Elisha's servants saw the army of the Lord, angels surrounding these soldiers. And and God opened his eyes and enabled him to see. They were present. They were actually there. And they were there to deal out judgment if they needed to. So Elisha and his servants saw something that was very real and very tangible. Yet to the, uh, I guess, the eye that hadn't been opened by God, it was unseeable. 
uh, Acts chapter 7, in verses 55 and 66, we have James. You remember James was um, being put to death by the Jews. And it says here in, in these verses, but he full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Did he see something that was a, a figment of his imagination? What did he see? Did he physically see God in heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ at his right hand? Well, I want to say yes. And there's a very important reason why. Because he says here, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, was he raised as a ghost-like figure or an apparition? No. He was raised physically. He had a resurrected body, a real physical body, different from ours, of course, but a real physical body. You remember he said to Thomas, touch my side, touch my hands, see that it is I. He ate, he drank. He didn't need to because he had an eternal body, but it was a real physical body. And that is something we have to realise. So when James looks into heaven, he sees in heaven a real physical being in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to show you more examples of this as we go forward. Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 to 7. Uh, John, uh, in this, uh, I guess one of my favourite passages in Scripture, uh, describes the future day of the Lord, the day that Christ returns to administer judgment on this world and rescue his people. It says here in verse 12, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. So you can imagine the scene. The, the sun goes black, the moon turns to blood, the stars fall from the sky. What does it tell you? Utter darkness, complete darkness. And this is at the end of the tribulation period where there are natural disasters that God has brought about by way of judgment, where a third of the earth of people die, the waters are polluted. So there's cataclysmic events going on everywhere. The world is in upheaval and they are all of a sudden in darkness. And that verse tells us that the sky where the stars were, is just peeled back, rolled back. And the glory and the brightness of heaven illuminates the whole world completely. Can you imagine that? The holiness of God, the holiness of God's glory shines upon these wicked people on earth and illuminates everyone and they see their nakedness and they're afraid and they're terrified. Look at the response then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals, people who were never afraid, are terrified. Look at what it says. And the rich and the powerful and everyone, slaves and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? So what's going on here? God, by his grace, has peeled back the curtain and enabled them to see into the present heaven that we're talking about here and now. What do they see? 
it tells us that the terror and the fear that they experience is the result of them seeing God on the throne and the Lord Jesus Christ coming to them. Do they see something that's not real and not tangible? No, they see the Lord God himself and the Lord Jesus Christ physically coming to earth. And he's physically going to come to earth and stand on earth. A real physical thing is occurring here. And there's another point to make. Just in the context of realising that heaven is a real physical, tangible place. So John has seen into it. Uh, James has seen into it. Um, but there's a concept here regarding the, the idea in Scripture, particularly the Old Testament, where a lot of the things that God had called Israel to do and make here on earth were actually copies of what had already been produced and made in heaven. Right? And I want to show you this. Consider the instructions for the temple. The Jews were to build the temple uh, with very particular instructions being given, uh, and they were modelled after that which already existed in heaven, right? So if they already existed in heaven, there's a temple in heaven, and God has said, what is in heaven? I want you to copy and do it precisely so that it replicates it here on earth. Let me show you this. Hebrews 8.5 um, it says here regarding uh, the, the, the tent here on earth that Moses was to make, it says that um, they, serve, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. So what you were making, what you were building, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So they are a copy and a shadow of what is already in heaven. And I'll make the point in a moment of what I'm getting at. Hebrews 9.23. Now this is interesting. It says here, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands. He's not, that's the human temple. It was made with hands. That's not where Christ entered, which are copies of the true things. But Christ entered into heaven itself, into the temple in heaven, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So the point is clear, isn't it? That which is in heaven has been copied and replicated here on earth so that God, by way of tabernacling with his people, would come into the holy of holies and would meet with his people. And the temple was that place where Israel could worship God and fellowship with God and delight in his presence. Copies of what was already in heaven. Revelation eleven nineteen. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and an earthquake and heavy hail. So again, the picture here is, is of heaven the present heaven, there is a temple and God's temple was open and the Ark of the Covenant, which everyone's looking for, the, the original that the copy was made after, the original's in heaven with God. And it's something to consider. So these originals that are copied here on earth, some might say they're figurative things. Uh, some might say those things mentioned in heaven that are, are the substance or the source. Well, that's just figurative kind of talk and speech. And there, aren't real, there isn't really a physical temple in heaven and there isn't really a physical ark there and so forth or a physical throne. Um, 
But I believe that it makes sense that a physical copy replicates a physical original, right? We have a physical, tangible copy here on earth, a temple, an ark, and so forth. I believe that it makes best sense to understand that there is an original physical copy. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Well, heaven also, the Bible tells us, heaven has a city. God's people here on earth, they had a city. It was Jerusalem, uh, and that is the earthly Jerusalem. Scripture speaks of there being a heavenly Jerusalem where God dwells. Hebrews 12.22, this is what we kind of looked at a little earlier. Hebrews 12.22, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You see it there? The heavenly Jerusalem, not the earthly one, but the heavenly Jerusalem. And then in Revelation 21, 1-2, this new heavens is described, the heavens that will be made later on. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. So there's a Jerusalem in heaven right now, but this is a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And you're like, well, Rod, why do you bring that up? What's the point there? Let let me explain this. This is really important. If the new holy city, the new Jerusalem, which is described in detail in Revelation 21.9, if that same city is made in heaven and in the future will come down out of heaven to be on the physical new earth, then that city that was made in heaven and comes down to earth, it must be a physical city, right? Of course, it's logical. Why would a city that comes down to earth not be physical? It has to be physical because it's on a physical earth. So we might think of it the other way. Why then would the current celestial city, that one we speak of, the heavenly Jerusalem now, which is in the intermediate heaven, not also be a real tangible physical place, right? So it makes sense then that all of your loved ones who have gone to be with the Lord are currently in a real physical tangible city. It makes sense because some might argue, well, it's impossible for there to be a physical tangible city in heaven. But as we just saw, the Bible tells us that in the future, one will be created and made in heaven and it will come down to earth where physical beings will be present and dwell in. So it's absolutely possible. And we also know that the Lord Jesus Christ with a very real physical body is currently in heaven. And it makes sense that it is a real and physical place. Again, we've got to lose that notion that because it's the unseen realm and we can't physically see it, that it's less than real and tangible. That's a wrong concept, I believe. Let's push this a little bit further. Uh, The tree of life. We know that in the Garden of Eden, in the book of Genesis, God put the tree of life there. Um, But here in Revelation 2.7, that same tree of life appears again. Listen to this, Revelation 2.7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And again, we might even be able to say that this paradise of God, which is in heaven, was replicated on earth, the Garden of Eden, the paradise of God on earth. Perhaps the Garden of Eden was a replica of what exists in heaven currently, right? That that would make sense. But here we see that in that garden in heaven, in the paradise of God, there is a tree of life. 
a tree of life. Revelation 22, verses 1 to 2. Uh, Again, here, the same tree of life in the future. Um, When the new heaven comes down to the new earth, there will also again be a real tree present um, in this new heavens and earth. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. So here we have the new heavens and the new earth, and there is mention of the tree of life, uh, a city running through the middle. Uh, Either side of the river, there's the trees, and and they're bearing fruit and so forth. Again, very real, very tangible, uh, physical things which will be in that new heaven and that new earth. So just a, a point to make, and perhaps you're convinced of this already. Perhaps you're like, well, yeah, of course. But I think that there are many who probably aren't convinced, so we need to understand this. Um, think of this as well, just another a slightly, I guess, a, an addition to that perspective. Um, another reason to believe that this present, her, present heaven is actually a physical and tangible place. Think of it this way. Um, this earth that we currently live on is clearly physical and uh, and there's no dispute about that. We're here, we can touch and see, and, and it's very real to us. Um, and, and we would say it this way, that there is no dreamlike element to it, right? What you see is what you see. We can touch, we can taste, we have all of our senses. There's no dreamlike element to it. Um, my question is, why would heaven be anything less? Why, uh, why would we go to heaven and be in some sort of spiritual sleep, if you like, and just not be as cognitive and not be as logical and not be as clear with our senses and perhaps we will have more senses, who knows? Why would it be anything less than what we currently have, right? And We don't think about it because I can walk out here and I can see the beautiful water and I can very quickly compare that beach to the ones in Melbourne and go, well, we're not quite as nice as that and I can make observations, I can swim out there and and I can talk to you guys and we can eat food and we can do all of this and experience the realities of life here on earth. And we're convinced of that. But then for some unknown reason, we think of heaven and we think, well, it just won't be like this. It'll be different. And I think in our minds we, we pull the realities of heaven down by writing it off as some sort of less than physical place. Can I suggest that the shadow or the copy is always inferior to the original? Do you know what I mean? And if this earth, and we've already seen it with the temple and different things, if this earth is somewhat of a, I guess, a sample or a copy of what exists in heaven, then this is actually inferior to what exists up there. And we're also told that because of Adam's sin, this earth, this creation is under a curse, right? And we know that we ourselves suffer from the effects of the original fall, the curse, right? Right. Uh, By toil, we uh, bring forth things from the ground. We are under the curse of this earth. And so think of it this way. Let's sort of bring all that together. Because heaven is superior in every way and because we are constrained to this sin-cursed body on this sin-cursed earth, then perhaps we could say that life now is actually somewhat of a dreamlike state in comparison to the clarity and vividness of true life in heaven. You know what I mean? So we are in this physical body. 
which is sinful and it's limited. And we have the aches and the pains. Some people suffer deafness, blindness, um, immobility and so forth. Uh, we don't always think clearly. We don't always have correct uh, vision, sight, spiritually and physically. We have limitations while we're on this earth. To come out of this body and to go into a state of perfection, I believe we'll actually start to see with perfect clarity. Right? That makes sense, doesn't it? And our senses will not be affected by sin but will be in more, more in tune. So I think that coming out of this body and leaving this earth and going to heaven, we won't be going around in a sleep, floating around in a cloud, being bored and not knowing what's going on, but we will be more alive and more in tune to reality than ever before. It will be kind of like going from black and white to colour, from 2D to 4D. And I'm convinced that that is what is going to happen. We just trick ourselves into thinking that it's going to be the opposite because I can see, I can touch, I can taste, I can smell, I can hear now. But heaven, well, I just don't think it's, well, yeah, I'm just not sure. Of course it'll be more. It'll be much more. It'll be far better. So it's just something to consider, something to, to chew over in your mind, to think through and to be encouraged by. Um, I'd hate for any of us to be like that pastor who wanted to be annihilated and who wanted to cease to exist because of the boredom that could possibly be in heaven. You know, God is eternal in all of his attributes and we will spend all of eternity understanding his person, his nature, his character, trying to fathom the depths of who he is. And you will never get to a point where you've arrived and you've discovered all of those things and you will never get to a point where the wonder and the awe and the amazement of who God is will diminish. And you'll go, well, yeah, okay, I've sort of worked everything out. No, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. Perhaps another question to ask now that we've sorted out uh, that heaven is a very real and physical, tangible place. Another question to ask is this, who is in heaven and what are its residents like? So who is in heaven and what are its residents like? And that's an easier question to answer. Obviously, we know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all there. Um, many passages speak of God being on his throne and Christ being at his right hand. Uh, in fact, if you read passages like Isaiah 6, you will see God on his throne. Uh, by the way, John 12, 41 actually tells us that Isaiah is seeing Christ on the throne um, in glory and we see peals of uh, thunder and fire and flashes of lightning all present, God displayed in his holiness and that's what's going on in the present heaven. So the triune God is present. We also know that there are innumerable amounts of angels who are present. Who are they? What are they doing? Well, they are angels who are rejoicing and praising God. Remember Hebrews 12, 23? It says this, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Do you get that? The angels of God who are in heaven are in festal gathering. They are celebrating. They are rejoicing and they are happy together. What does the scripture tell us when, that when one sinner repents, what happens in heaven? There's much rejoicing, right? And obviously the angels who come from heaven to earth to do the will of the Lord um, perhaps in some way play a role in the circumstances of our life. They are witness to the work of God in salvation in a sinner's life and they see the transformation and the moment that sinner rejoices, on, they see on earth that sinner changes allegiance from 
Satan to God, they rejoice. They praise God. They give thanks. And all heaven is in uproar. So there's continual fellowship and praising going on here. But there's also the saved people of God, Old Testament saints, New Testament saints. Now think about this. If we have a situation where, uh, and there are other parts of Scripture where um, people come before God and they cut the 24 elders cast their thrones and they all sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and there's festal gathering from the angels, what will the people of God be doing? The, the whole city's rejoicing when one sinner repents and comes to faith. When God is um, uh, worshipped and praised, they all rejoice. Will the people of God be going, oh, wow. No, they'll be participating. How do you stand there when you witness salvation of a lost sinner? How, how do you stand there and re rejoice when all of heaven is rejoicing? So I'm convinced that everyone in heaven, believers as well, will be praising God from the depth of their being. What a place. And I often like to think of it this way. Um, you know, as you get older, you have aches and pains and uh, seem to have more sorrows and more reasons to, um, I guess, to find life difficult. When you're maybe 20, you think, ooh, you know, there's not a problem in the world. I'm fit, I'm happy, I'm strong and all of that. But as you get older, you become acutely aware of, of, of all the aches and pains and there are a few moments in your life and, and, and maybe once a month or something like that where it feels like everything's perfect and you wake up and you're praising God and you've got not an ache in your body and you're focused on the Lord, you've been in his word, you've been in prayer and you're rejoicing and it's just a beautiful, wonderful, intimate time. And you can still have aches and pains when that happens, by the way, but you are praising God and you are filled with joy. And that's not every day. It just doesn't happen that way. But every so often that happens and you think, wow, this is what heaven must be like all the time, plus more. And I say that to myself and I say it to my wife. There are moments where you are so close with the Lord and worshipping the Lord and, and I guess I made reference to the aches and the pains because when we're out of this body and we're with the Lord, there'll be none of that. So there's those days where everything is just absolute bliss and joy in the Lord. And then I think, Helen... I said, Helen, Helen, every day will be like that when we go to be with the Lord. And you just think, wow, how wonderful, how wonderful. So just as an aside. <laughs> um, so the saved people of God there will be where and they will be praising God. They will be worshipping God with all the heavenly host. Um, Hebrews 12, 23 refers to them as the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Um, uh, they are the spirits of the righteous who are made perfect, made perfect. Um, and again, because you are going to be one of them one day, because you are going to be there one day, isn't it important to ask the question about these heavenly citizens? Uh, let, let's do that. Uh, what are they like? So for your loved one who may have left this life and who is in the presence of the Lord, uh, what is life like for them? What are they like? Well, I want to make the point that they are cognitive. They are cognitive, right? Um, there are many extremist groups and cults who believe in all sorts of things about what happens to you when you die. Uh, some believe in what's called soul sleep, that you die and you go to sleep and you're uh, brought back to life when the Lord returns. And because you've been asleep, you don't know, and it's like the twinkling of an eye. Well, that's wrong. Uh, the Bible tells us that we go immediately into the presence of the Lord, and we've already seen that. But when you are out of this body with the Lord in heaven, 
you are absolutely cognitive in every way. Um, communicating with God, celebrating with palm branches, praising God with song, communicating with other believers. Uh, listen to Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. It says this, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Isn't it amazing that you don't need a physical body to sing and to think and to see and to communicate? It's your soul, it's your inner being that does that before God, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, They praise God, they worship, and they're all gathered together, which indicates fellowship, unity, harmony. Um, Another important point to make is that those people who are in heaven remember life on earth, and that's always a question that people ask. Will my loved one who is in heaven remember anything about earth? And I think it's wrong if we actually think, well, the memories of this life are completely erased. I think that's an incorrect perspective to have. Um, I believe that we will remember life here on earth. Um, We saw before that there is much rejoicing in heaven when, by the angels of God when one sinner repents. Uh, And I I made the point that it would be impossible for those believers in heaven to look on and to not know also with the angels the reason why they're rejoicing, right? So those people who are saved in heaven, I believe, would have an acute knowledge and awareness of the sinners who are coming to faith. Uh, because they're rejoicing along with the angels. That seems to make sense to me. They would have knowledge of what is occurring on earth. Uh, Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, and this pushes the point a little further. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So these people were alive. They were on earth. They were believers. They were testifying to the Lord And evil people had put them to death. They had martyred them. And it says here that they cried out with a loud voice, O Lord, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So what can we take away from that? Some good observations. Obviously, they are able to communicate with the Lord, right? Uh, And they are aware that they themselves have been martyred for Christ. They have been unjustly and unfairly killed. They're aware of that. They sense the injustice and they sense the need for recompense, for justice to come forth. And they actually know that the wicked people on earth have not yet been brought to justice. They haven't been judged. So again, those who are in heaven have some awareness of what is going on on earth. Or they also have an awareness of God's timetable that the Lord hasn't yet returned. And they're told to rest a little while longer on a number of occasions. We also have that concept in Scripture of eternal rewards, right? We know that in a coming day when the Lord returns, we who have followed him and lived for him and believe in Christ in a saving way will be rewarded. And and I believe that the eternal rewards that we will receive will be given and remembered in light of the context of our life on earth, right? and we'll show you this in a moment, but Scripture speaks of rewards that believers receive 
at the coming of Christ, which are based upon the life that we have lived for Christ. There's not one reward for all people. There'll be multiple and they'll be in varying degrees depending upon your work here on earth for the Lord. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 14. 1 Corinthians 3, 14. And it says here regarding these rewards and our sacrifice of service for the Lord here on earth. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so all people appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Believers will appear and our lives will be examined. And only those things which have been done for Christ by faith, in faith, for the glory of God, will pass the test and we will be rewarded for those. Those things that we've done in our life for self, uh, with bad motives and for bad reasons, will be burnt away, done away with. We will not lose our salvation or our eternal reward, but that's the idea behind rewards. And if you think of the, the context in which this will occur, believers will appear before Christ when he comes and believers will, in a sense, go through a rewards-giving ceremony, I believe. It seems to be the best way to, to view that, to answer that, where each person is examined and rewarded by Christ. Now, obviously, if that's what is going to happen, then there will of necessity be an assessment of the person's life, right? And, and the good that you have done for the glory of God will be revealed and you will be rewarded. Um, and so when we think of rewards, yes, they are the blessing of God based upon what we have done, but I believe that the reward we will take with us into all eternity will reflect our service and work for the Lord here on earth. Um, it's something to remember, something to think about. Um, and that is the idea behind the rewards. When we have served the Lord, lived for the Lord, loved the Lord, he honours us. So again, what was done on earth is made known to everyone and it echoes off into eternity and we take those rewards with us into eternity for all eternity. So life is not forgotten. That's the idea behind Matthew 6.20 where Jesus says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth or rust cannot destroy or steal or thieves break in and steal, sorry. Um, that's the idea behind that. Um, consider also Lazarus and the rich man. We looked at this before, uh, that parable of Jesus in Luke 16. Uh, there's a, a positive element that, the, um, that Lazarus died and went to be with the Lord and he was at peace and, you know, he obviously had nothing during this life, but when he went to the next, he was comforted. But the rich man, and there's something to learn from this regarding the rich man. Um, we obviously have, find him in Hades and he's suffering and he's in torment because he was not a saved person. He rejected God and lived for self. And we see here a concept come out that those who are in hell seem to be able to remember their earthly life, Right? It's not erased. It's not written off. How do I know that? Listen to what it says. Luke 16, 25. But Abraham said, so the rich man is appealing to Abraham. And Abraham says, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish there. So Abraham appeals to him to remember his life and not only his life, but uh, Lazarus's life. Um, 
So here he appeals to this dead man who has not followed God. He finds himself in hell and he lives and suffers with the remembrance of his early life. And he does this. Look at verse 27. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to where? My father's house. For I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So he has not forgotten his family, right? He has not forgotten the fact that his brothers were just like him, who had turned away from God and did not follow God. He knew that his brothers would end up where he was as well because they had rejected God. He remembered all of those things. And he knows that he's rightfully and justifiably in hell because he had rejected God. So we could say that if Lazarus, uh, sorry, the rich man who is in hell can remember all of those things, then why would it not be the case that um, Lazarus can also remember the same things while being in heaven or in God's paradise? It, It makes sense that both are able to remember and reflect, yet with right perspectives. And a lot of people ask, well, when I go to heaven, will I remember my loved ones, you know? Uh, perhaps my wife has passed away, my husband, my father, my mother, whoever it is, when I get to heaven, will I remember them? Uh, Sometimes we read the Gospels and we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, resurrected body, and no one could recognise him. And the fear we seem to have is that, well, we'll go to heaven and I just, is that you? Or, you know, and we won't be able to recognise each other. Could the rich man recognise Lazarus? Yes. Yes, he could see him afar off. He recognised him clearly and I believe that we will be able to recognise our loved ones based upon that, also the transfiguration. You remember Jesus took a couple of his disciples and uh, Moses and Elijah were transfigured before them and the disciples very quickly were aware of the fact that this was Elijah and this was Moses. There were no photos in those days. They didn't know what Moses and Elijah looked like, yet they could recognise them. And I think that should bring us great comfort. We will know those people who we've lived this life with. And Franz, you and I will be in heaven and we'll be able to say, it's great to see you, brother. And we can rejoice and we can remember and we can say we're finally here. We're rejoicing in the Lord. These are the wonderful things we'd spoken of and remembered and thought about. And that should thrill our hearts. That should thrill all of our hearts. You could also know that we understand that while we're in this body, this is a, a physical body. Um, it breaks down, it dies, and the true self is the spirit or the soul which inhabits this body. Uh, we know that after we die, the soul or the spirit goes to be with the Lord. Um, and many people ask the question, well, do we float around like a ghost? What, what are we like? Many people also say, well, I know that when we die, we immediately get a body like the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's not actually true. When you die right now, if you were to die right now or in a coming day, you don't receive a resurrected body until the resurrection occurs. What do you have in the meantime? In the meantime, the Bible tells us that we have a form of some kind whereby we can recognise each other. And that's what we see going on in heaven. The souls of those before the throne are recognisable. John saw them. John could recognise them. What that form is, we don't know. But the scripture is pretty clear that we have some sort of recognisable form. So again, what is heaven like? Uh, this is a, a brief snapshot, to be honest. It's, it's a big topic and there's so many questions that people have. I'd encourage you to grab a hold of that book if you can. It's quite thick and a lot of questions that people would 
uh, genuinely have, he has answered. So I'd encourage you to take a look at that. But again, I wanted to just encourage you this morning and just with these two messages on the intermediate heaven to just, I guess, kind of maybe help shape your understanding a little, um, not for the sake of gaining greater knowledge alone, but so that you'll be encouraged, so that you, again, won't be like that pastor, but rather that you'll be looking forward to going to be with the Lord. And as I said, you know, I want to study this, and I want to go there now, but it's like, Lord, you've got me here, uh, and you've got work for me to do, and, and I'll go when it's your time, but we should be thrilled by this. We should be so looking forward to what God has in store for us that we think about it, that we're comforted by it, uh, we're enlivened to ministry because of it. Uh, yes, it is a time of peace, a time of rest, but the intermediate heaven, again, it's, it's temporal. It is intermediate. After the intermediate heaven, the Bible tells us, and we'll see this in a moment, believers who have um, died in the Lord will come back with the Lord Jesus Christ and will receive resurrected bodies. And we all as believers will dwell on this earth, which has been, I guess, recreated. The curse has been lifted. Christ will rule on his throne and we will live on this earth with him for 1,000 years in resurrected bodies. And, and I, beloved, I'm looking forward to that more than anything. I cannot wait. After the millennial kingdom, the Bible tells us that Jesus hands the kingdom back to the Father. The great white throne judgment occurs and we go off into the eternal state for all time. Um, just to give you a bit of a snapshot. So those who are in heaven right now, uh, it's a time of rest. It's a time of peace until God brings forth his next, um, I guess, uh, specific work within humanity in the millennial kingdom. So uh, just encourage you with those truths and pray that it's a blessing to you. Uh, again, if you have any questions, uh, happy to chat, happy to talk, uh, come and see me. But I pray most importantly that you'll be encouraged and just uplifted by this. So let's pray. And Father God, we, we want to thank you for this time that we can spend in your word. And Father, I want to pray and ask that you would encourage our hearts. Father, I know much has been said this morning and perhaps for some it's, it's somewhat new. Perhaps for others it's not new. Lord, I just pray that whether it's new or not, uh, that you would take your word and the passages that we've looked at, the concepts that we've considered, and that you would encourage our hearts with them. Father, may you grant to us the grace to see this truth with clarity, uh, that we would have a great and grand and, and biblical view of heaven. Lord God, we know that um, it's so vitally important. We see how Paul uh, encouraged the suffering saints to remind them that they are not of this earth, that they are citizens of heaven and that in heaven there awaits for them uh, the glorification of themselves, the presence of the Lord, joy and peace and happiness and comfort, uh, absolute holiness and purity away from sin and the sin-cursed world. And Father, we pray that you would help us to long for that, to look forward to that. And may you sink these truths deep into our hearts. And Father, I want to pray for anyone here this morning who may not know you as Lord and Saviour. Father God, I ask that you would help such ones to to see and to realise, to know wholeheartedly that uh, that eternal rest is only for those who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. It's only for those who have bent the knee and come to him by faith and who have been saved, born again and made alive. Lord, we know that your word tells us there is a terrifying judgment for those who push away the hand of salvation, the offer of eternal life. May you work powerfully in the lives of such people, if there are any here, 
that they may come to you knowing that you are the God of great love and your desire is that they be reconciled to you through Christ Jesus. We give you thanks for this time. We thank you for one another and we ask for your blessing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.